Mm. How was that? It's great. Yeah? Yeah. Did you feel any internal state change? Um, yeah, it feels like a, um, yeah, a little bit of an activation catalyst. Like I feel a bit more yeah. clear. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Thanks man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for this wonderful idea. Yeah. It's a great one. So I'm excited to have a conversation with Ben Hart today. Ben is a new friend. We met each other at Burning Man. And uh, immediately I was gravitating towards him because of his curiosity, mm-hmm. his, uh, his, uh, his presence. And if you can hear things shuffling in the background, that's, that's Lord Buddha running around the room. <laughs> We're actually in the middle of a yurt that they have in their backyard. Um, what a beautiful place you have here. Mm. Yeah. So this is a question I ask everyone. What it maybe then we'll start there, then we can go where the conversation goes. Beautiful. Yeah. So what are some pivotal moments in your childhood that made you the person that you are today? Hmm. That's a great question. Um a number of things come to mind. I think both you know, triumphs and trauma. Um so the, one of the first things, uh, I had the experience of, uh, I'm an older brother of three boys. And the <coughs> I'm the oldest, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so I think I grew up with the, you know, a few things. One, I had three and a half years on the planet with just myself and my parents. Mm-hmm. And there's a way that my parents were really clear on part of their purpose in life being to create a loving family mm-hmm. that came from, lineages that had a lot of trauma and they were very clear of it ends with us as much as it can and and so my first three and a half years really templated unconditional love into my being in a really powerful way Um, that's not to say my parents didn't have their shadows and their issues but I had three and a half years of feeling like the center of the universe and not in a way that created narcissism but in a way that created a feeling of like being a held human being and I think that was really important and and um what what uh, I experienced um, as my brothers came into the world, I actually had the, the trauma that I mentioned, like a, a memory that comes up that I actually have on a home video was me. I was a very kind of loud, gregarious, self-expressed kid and just like singing and dancing and like talking all the time. And I had an experience of my parents um, kind of shushing me so my brother could be on this video and could be center stage. And there's a way that it exemplified for me, and I talked about it with my parents, and they definitely agree that this occurred, is that there was a way that I was such a, a, an outgoing kid and, and um, such a confident kid that there was a way that they kind of squashed, tried to squash me a little bit to give my other people, give my brother space. Mm. And I think that for a long time, the wound that I carried from that was that I take up too much space and that it's not okay to be me fully. Like I needed, I needed to, I felt, I got the message that I needed to change who I was to continue to see, receive love. And so that's been a really beautiful journey for me of what it is to just claim all that I am and trust the love and know that the love is here. Um, that's yeah. a really interesting point. I think with, because I've done a lot of personal development work as well. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of these seminars, you always hear people encourage the participants to go back to that uh, primary relationships mm-hmm. and see where the original wound is. Yeah. And everyone has them. I don't care who you are. Yeah. Right. 
But some people transcend from it, and some people dwell in it for decades, and they just couldn't. Like they're like in their sixties and seventies, and they still complain about things happening. I mean, it's, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so the question I have is, how did you actually navigate that space uh, with your parents? Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you develop that self-awareness? Because I'm curious to know. Because if I bring back my unaware days, I would probably push it aside. It's like, ah, what's the big deal? Why dwell in the past, mm-hmm. right? But now that I, you know, I'm a little bit more mature, I've come to really appreciate, you know, the the origin of the story of the narrative, like where that came from. So curious mm-hmm. to know how you navigated that space such that. It's not a mate wrong to your parents. At the same time, you also get to um, release, transcend from this trauma. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Three, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a number of factors there. I think one is just, it, you know, the the journey that we all go on, or that we all can go on, of moving our shadows, our pain, our wounds from something that we don't want to look at, something that we don't want to feel, something that we're pushing away to slowly bringing it more and more into our awareness and more and more into our heart, truly. Mm-hmm. And I, I think of it as, and this comes from actually a teacher of mine um, in the Gene Keys work of like allowing our shadows. Sorry, Gene Keys? The Gene Keys, which is G-E-N-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm happy to talk about that more as we go on. Yeah, I, it's it's very, very alive for so me these days. Put a placeholder there. Yeah. But just the notion of, you know, allowing the wound and then learning to accept it and then actually learning to embrace it. And I feel like I've, I've gotten that more and more deeply over the last you know, decade, but certainly over the last few years. And there's a way that for a lot of my life, I was angry about it. And I don't think I was even aware of it. I was just numb to it and you know, probably like different addictions I had in my life, whether it was drinking or porn or whatever the case may be, were ways to not feel the pain of, I feel like I can't be myself in the world. Mm-hmm. And Certainly, as we talk more about you know who I am and what I'm interested in, my obsession has always been what's possible as a human, mm. and so my path just naturally led me toward healing modalities and personal growth and spirituality and all these different things that necessitated me looking at what was going on in me, and so really brought the wound to into awareness. Mm. Um, but then, to your piece around you know not getting angry with the parents, I definitely think it's in that journey, it's learning to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for. And certainly that includes going through anger, going through frustration, and going through forgiveness. Um, But also to say, I also have the added benefit that my parents have been very willing to do work on themselves. Mm. My mom's a psychoanalyst and a one who is aware psychoanalyst, because I'm sure there's many psychoanalysts that aren't so great. and so I've seen my parents transform immensely over the, you know, the last 30 years and certainly the last 20, 10. Yeah, so that's helped as well. Is that they're different people than they were. What a blessing. How fortunate you were. Yeah. Yeah, to be born into that family and giving love and, and having willing participants in the, in the personal development journey. Because yeah. not every family, I know a few, <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely aware of them as well. Who, yeah. Uh, whose parents are like, nope, we are who we are. And it's okay. You know, the, 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 human, the human nature is that way, right? Yeah. Uh, but so cool. So, all right. So, that's your first pivotal moment. Any additional ones that made you who you are today? Mm. 
Well, you know, there, I mean, there's many, but one, one now, I'll just speak to what arises in my consciousness as we're talking about this is to this whole notion that I just mentioned of like being obsessed with human potential and where what humanity is capable of. Um, when I was in my teens, probably 15, I picked up um, Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now. 15, you were interested about Ram Dass. Well, I, I picked up the book. I, I don't know if I was interested at the time, but I, I was drawn to it. Um, and I just read the, uh, the, his kind of autobiographical opening to that book, which is probably like 60 pages. And he talks about being at Harvard and LSD and leaving and going and meeting his, his guru. And there was this moment in the book when he talks about he was sitting under the stars in India and he had a memory of his mother who I believe had passed away. And, and then a couple days later, he meets his guru and his guru tells him about how he was sitting under the stars thinking about his mom and just this moment of complete intuitive knowing. And at that, that moment, that, that story for me struck something really deeply of like, I know that that's true. Like, I know that that, that what, if I want to call that magic, if I want to call that whatever mystery, if I want to call that science fiction, like whatever that is, is feels real to me. Mm. And it, like, touched, it. I believed it. Yeah. I believe like, okay, reality feels like it's more that than what I'm getting told mm. just from being in school. Um, and that... It was almost like that lit a match that then became the bonfire that has been my life of mm. wanting to surrender into that mystery more and more and discover more of it. Mm. So at 15, you were seated with that idea. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so, so that was a moment. Yeah. And um, how has it carried you or served you since? Yeah. Well, um, So, I mean, I feel like my life is, I feel like, you know, an evangelist for human potential. Like, I feel obsessed with what, what is Ben capable of becoming as a human being? What is CK capable of becoming as a human being? And, and as each person becomes what they're capable of becoming, what is this human family capable of? Like, what are we able to create together on this amazing planet? And so... For me, that, you know, that seed, that, that match that was struck around, okay, there's more to reality than I know, led to a deep obsession with developmental psychology and inter- evolutionary psychology and integral theory. Like, uh, for a long time, I was really just obsessed with, okay, well, where is consciousness going? Like, what, what is this stair-stepping that seems to be unfolding as we move from egocentrism to potentially cosmic centrism. Mm. Um, but then it was also just an obsession with meditation. And I got really into meditation and yoga around 19 and 820. And I got very obsessed with eco-villages and community living around the world because I was wanted to curious around what's, what are new models for how humans can be. And um, you know, my, my, my work in the world has always been around transformative education. Mm. Um, so I've been a part of a company for the last eight years now called The Shift Network. And we... Mm. We're a publishing house that works with a lot of best-selling authors and spirituality and personal growth and some conscious leadership and business and sustainability and basically just trying to bring the best of what humanity is discovering to as many people as possible. Hmm. Um, so similar to like my valley. Exactly. Yeah. Very similar. Oh, that's yeah. Beautiful. I mean, there's so many different things I can ask you about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where do I start? Uh, well, I want to go back to one of the things that actually piqued my interest, and then we can go into the different modalities I've experimented that actually really helped your progress, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. You say your latest uh, interest 
you said, right? Mm -hmm. It's Gene Key. Mm -hmm. Gene Keys. Gene Keys. Can you say a little bit more about that? Why did it like capture your imagination? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that's one of those things of like, why did why did Ram Dass's book capture my imagination? Like, yeah. <clears throat> was it the color of the book, or was it just meant to read it? <laughs> but hey, funny thing that you're in the publishing industry. <laughs> exactly. In terms of marketing. Right? Exactly. Yeah, and Ram Dass has been a faculty of ours. Totally. That's the beauty of it. I just realizing. You know, I feel like over time now, realizing the perfection of every step, it's just all happening in a truly perfect way. Um, but with the Gene Keys, you know, I, it's, it's been around friends in our community, actually, for a while. I've had many people speak about it to me, and I, I got the book a few years ago, and I had it, I would open it up, and I would read a bit, and I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't resonate, and I would just put it back on the bookshelf. And I probably did that three or four times over two years. And then one day I was going on a trip to Bali, actually, and, um, and I'll just say that it happened the day after I proposed to my now fiancé. So it felt like a, almost like a chapter change in my life, and I had brought the book with me for whatever reason. I opened it up, and it was truly like drinking from the river of truth in a way that I never had with anything in my life. And I've you know, been very obsessed almost with different teachers and different teachings and different times, but something about this resonated at a core level that I hadn't experienced before. Mm. And um, there's many things I could say about what it is, but for me, it's, it's, it's related to the I Ching. Mm. And it, it feels just like a, a transmission of truth that's slowly kind of massaging my consciousness to see more of, of the peace and the beauty and you know, the aliveness that's available. Can you speak more broadly about the concept of the book? Because I've kind of gathered a little bit of info from in between the lines what you're speaking about, but can you be a little bit more yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so the notion is um, that there are sort of 64 archetypes within human consciousness, and then also why it's called the gene keys is it links it, it links it to our genetics and our mm -hmm. DNA. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't have a science background, so I I hold the scientific part loosely, but the more I dive into it, the more it feels real to me. I feel like actually epigenetically it is transforming my genes as I change my attitude. Um, but the idea is that there's these 64 archetypes where you kind of can move from more of a shadow consciousness into more of a higher frequency. Um, and so it's almost like you have these contemplations on a specific one. like um, For me, one really big one was moving from unease intuition to clarity it's a continued journey for sure but the invitation with that one is like contemplating the idea that I'm constantly uneasy mm. that unease lives deeply in my being and deeply in my body mm. and you know like if I just go and sit for 30 minutes not meditating not doing anything but just sit there's a deep unease there and I think most humans feel that I can relate to that yeah so. and what it is to begin to bring more and more awareness of that and more and more acceptance. And as I was saying before, what is it to allow that and then over time accept that and then over time truly embrace that unease. And what I found is that I've, as I've embraced more of these kind of shadow frequencies, these ones that I often want to pull away from or don't look at, these higher frequencies start to come into play. So intuition, I feel like as I sit in the unease, I'm able to listen more deeply and my intuition comes online more. And, um, and then that potentially moves into just being clear, like more knowing. So there's a lot of archetypes like that that they can you know, take you through. Um, and then the idea is that each one of us sort of has our own 
profile, like our own map to our journey that we can go on with each of these keys that unravels, unfolds our consciousness to higher frequencies. So it's very like there's esoteric sides to it, but there's also just very clear contemplations that have been deeply valuable that I recommend for everyone. Yeah. This past meditation retreat that I went on to, I got to really observe that unease. I call it neurosis, right? Mm. Because I, during the meditation process, which was really long, uncomfortable and all that, I was, uh, uh, I fidget. You know, I scratch it here, scratch it there. <laughs> like, nobody knows but me, right? But I know, but I know, because my inner stillness was disturbed. Mm -hmm. And that was a way for me to escape whatever is happening in that moment. Mm. And I realized that all of a sudden I had this like inner disgust about my own humanness. Because mm. that's all, all those like fidget mannerisms or externalities of my inner uh, unease yeah and I was able to witness all of it so my first reaction was disgust then I realized how do I you know why you resist persist mm -hmm. right pushing a beach ball into an ocean deeper you go the moment you let go lose that control whatever that be kaboom it comes up can't escape it yeah so the way to really transcend that is to embrace with love Right. How do I accept all of my humanity rather than trying to avoid, trying to um, push it away? Yeah. Right. So thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's part of perfect modeling of it. Yeah. Thank you. Human journey. Um, so I'm actually curious because I'm very much a framework guy. Mm. I love frameworks and I learned over the years to also the limitation of frameworks as well. Because frameworks is an abstraction of this. Uh, hugely complex universe, right? Try to describe Indeed. Ben Hart with just your name, or your gender, your profession, your hair. It's super limiting because you're not just those little yeah. abstract little cuts. Of exactly. That thing. So then, how do you navigate between uh, having frameworks as a way to simplify to depending on frameworks to now you're being put in a box? Yeah, it's a great question. That space? Yeah, I think it really comes down to just holding the knowing of what you just described. Like the map is not the territory, and what is it to? And I think <clears throat> I certainly went on a journey with that when I got deep into, you know, integral thinking and was you know obsessed with integral theory for a while, and that was certainly like fully melding with a map for a long time. You know, my early twenties especially, and and probably going through the the the, the pain of having to kind of dis dissemble from that because I do think for a while I was just overlaying every that on it to all of reality and you know now in my 30s you know I the then there's a deeper knowingness of not knowing mm -hmm. that that no map has all the details and 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 that it's it that it you know I think that what, I, what I've noticed as in time goes on is that in moments, it's almost like those maps bring in insights that serve me, but it's no longer like I'm looking down at them as I'm walking through the world anymore. Mm. That, they're, that they're there if I wanted to stop and, and like look out and reference something, but I don't even feel like I'm navigating by a map anymore, which feels really good. So if I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is these days you use it more like a way to 
kind of check your blind spots, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Not as is a way to literally use it as a map to navigate the world. Exactly. Navigate your, your path as a human being. Is that accurate? Yeah. I really love that analogy, the map is not territory. Because when I hear people using whatever modality they have, whether it be the Bible or, you know, mm. the Quran or whatever, right? And then they use it as, like, dogma. This, like, this is the truth. Anything not the literal interpretation of that is not the truth. Is yeah, that, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Mostly what we're referring to, roughly. Yeah, and it feels like it's holding paradox in a way because we, we know so much and we've discovered so much and we really don't know what the heck is going on here. Like, we, li- we are in the midst of a huge mystery. And what is it to hold both as true? Beautiful. So what are some of the other, I guess, mental models or archetypes or frameworks mm-hmm. that have really served you as a way to help you grasp more understanding of this complex universe? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the integral, like the, the evolution of consciousness really serves me, understanding developmental levels to some level. And it's not as if I have a deep understanding of the nuances between, you know, different spiral dynamics, memes. I have some understanding, but really just understanding that humans develop and that consciousness develops and that on like broadish brushstrokes humans move from egocentric to ethnocentric to world-centric to potentially cosmic-centric and that for me just gives a lot more empathy and also more patience and compassion for everything that unfolds both on day-to-day level with individuals but also you know within the collective and within society and within nations and it feels like it it, ma- it makes more sense to me what's unfolding as as i have that framework um another piece for me just on individual level has always has been parts work for a long time what's that so the notion that within each of us is a universe of different parts different voices so i have my you know my inner child is like a very popularized one mm-hmm. um but, but i have you know i have a, my inner critic and i have my inner skeptic and oh, I like have my exactly 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 and what is it to so uh, one of my mentors um, who I met in my early 20s he was a, a deep uh, practitioner of that work and did voice dialogue work and I trained in that a bit and um, you know it, 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 it's it's brought a real awareness to me of okay how deeply parts of myself are in conflict you know and how I'm, I kind of any internal tension I feel is often just one part of me wanting something one part of me wanting something else and the realization that no part is bad every part actually serves a beautiful purpose mm-hmm. like at the core of it every part has a life-affirming desire that I am fully on board with but I just might not be down with their strategies for getting it met mm-hmm. and so what is it to bring attention to those parts understand where they're coming from and then help them all get their needs met because ultimately it's just my needs getting met. Right, going back to the beach ball analogy, some people would say, let me transcend the inner child or whatever. Well, the inner, inner child is always going to be there. Totally. It's, gonna, it's a part of you. Totally. Uh, and that, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I, I love what you said a little bit earlier. It says all of these mental models, uh, inner, what did you call it? Inner working, inner work. Anyways, not sure. <laughs> Parts work. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, and and integral theories. 
really brought you to a place of patience mm. and, and generosity. I mean, I sense like peace. Mm. Allow you to have more patience to see the progression of the world, things happening around you, so forth. Right? Is that, did I hear that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like I've only realized this recently. I was actually speaking with a, a younger guy at my company who's in his mid-20s, and he was speaking about his impatience with everything. <laughs> and I realized, oh, I used to live there. Like, I used to live there with, where, you know, just my own evolutionary journey and also with the collective journey of, like, wanting us to get it, wanting us to wake up to our connections much quicker. And I, I agree with what you just said. I think that the combination of having the mental models around what's happening at a grander level, along with just the continued internal work of dealing with the parts of me that are really frustrated or agitated or impatient has allowed a lot more peace than ever before. Mm. I was having a conversation with another guest on the podcast, uh, Nick Labors. He's a huge proponent of just living the moment because mm. like, ultimately anything but this moment is an illusion, right? Mm. The past, it's already gone, the future hasn't existed yet. In this moment, this moment only, is where he wants to live. Right? He's not there, because just like any human, mm -hmm. our ego, our mind, he has a very, very developed mind, will pull you, pull him from our present moment, right? Mm -hmm. Pull us from the present moment. So, um, do you feel that see how do I articulate this question do you feel that having all of these because the, these frameworks implies in a, a, a direction a path versus this moment yeah so how once again right how do you grapple with because if if I hold on to these frameworks is like over there cosmic consciousness way better than over here, egocentric yeah. <laughs> or ethnocentric <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah, using the different terminologies. Because from my perspective, I want to get there quicker. So I'm like, let's use technology, let's use, let's help accelerate it, let's, mm -hmm. you know, versus, hey, focus, and I don't know, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Like, yeah, you know what I'm yeah I think here? that's a great inquiry, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, so, one thing, you know, I'll, I completely agree that, or I don't even know if this is what Nick was saying necessarily, but I, I really do feel that we can only truly be committed to the present moment because mm -hmm. everything else is an abstraction. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we can't have a sense of our deep commitments to relationships and to callings and to other things, but the commitment lives in the present moment. And so what is it then to, to recognize that our life is truly an, an unfolding moment, moment by moment by moment, all that exists is this present moment. And so in that, you know, I mentioned it earlier of just kind of the, the paradox of all these things we know, but also we don't really know anything. Right. And I feel like really, I've sat with that more deeply than I ever have in my life. The, like the fact that I don't actually know anything, um, or, or, or the question of like, what do I truly know? What can I actually know? Um, it, it, it creates a level of uh, having to hold all the frameworks really lightly. 
What? Having to hold all the frameworks very, very lightly. Lightly. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, there, there's research backing them and there's all these things, there's all these reasons why, but we don't act, I don't actually know where this is going. I have no idea where this conversation is going to go, let alone where my, the rest of my day is going to go, let alone where the collective is going over the next mm -hmm. 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, I'd be a fool to think I did. And, and yeah, and, and so I don't, I don't know if that's getting at your question, but let's, we can unpack it more. But those are the initial thoughts. I, I like what you said is focus on living the moment, but having an intention or a desire for futures to come. I think that's kind of what I gathered from your response. Is that, did I capture that? Yeah, well, because I think in the, in the moment, there, there are authentic desires that live. There are authentic intentions that live in me. There are things that are pressing through that want to be birthed through me, through, through any human, I imagine. And so that, that as a part of being present in the moment, I'm, I'm aware of where this kind of my life force wants to go and where my mind wants to go, where my heart wants to go. And so holding that, but as you're, as you're saying, holding it, holding it lightly, not knowing how it's truly going to unfold. Mm. So what is your heart wants to lead in this moment in your life? Yeah, that's, that's a great question right now in my life. I'm, I've actually, uh, a lot has changed recently. So as you mentioned, we're sitting in a yurt right now on this piece of land. I live on this big piece of land in Marin with eight adults and three, four kids who live here part-time. And um, I, w I was living in the city for years in San Francisco. And so it's a big move that I just made with my fiance just a month or two ago to live here with all these friends. And at the same time, my work in the world is changing radically. So I was, I was leading the marketing team for our company for the last five years. And uh, right before Burning Man, I handed my whole team away to to someone on my team and basically kind of stepped into the unknown around it. So I'm still at the company, but I feel this new birthing happening for me. I, want, I really want to create um, media. I want to create, uh, you know, education has been my focus, and I want to pair that with media that really helps sh shift consciousness, helps people become who they're here to become. So, mm. yeah. You know, when I ask people... What do you want to, what do you see the world needs right now most? Mm -hmm. I would think like 90% of people say education. Mm -hmm. So we have this reckoning, recognition that education is so important. And a lot of people wanted to really invest their time, energy, resource, talents into education. Do you feel, what kind of education do you feel is the most transformative, most important? I don't know what's even the word important, maybe, mm -hmm. matters the most. Transformative is probably the best word. Right? Mm -hmm. The most transformative to empower to kids to live a thriving life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I came from an academic background, so I'm very uh -huh. strong. I have strong opinions about how our current system don't work. Yeah. <laughs> But, but, but I don't want to lead the witness, so I'm curious to know your thoughts. Like, yeah. What kind of education do you fear empower kids the most? Yeah. Do you mean that you've been in the education industry for quite some time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, so I had a really formative experience when I was 19, where I um, took a semester off of college, and, um, you know, I was really obsessed with school in the, in the sense of did really well in school and went to a prestigious school. Um, but always from the place of I want to keep as many doors open as I can for myself, not from the place of I love this and let me just thrive in this environment. 
Um, and so when I was 19, I took a semester off of college, and I went and lived at this place called Findhorn in Scotland, which is, have you heard of it? It's kind of like, um, kind of like Esselin, but it's more of a village. So there's, there's like 10,000 people that come through for workshops every year, but there's about 400 people that live there in this village who have been for 50, 60 years now. It's a really magical place. And it was the first time I encountered shamans and monks and, you know, did, uh, permaculture and you know all these things and people were being born there and people were dying and there were weddings and just felt like it felt like tribe it felt like like you know, burning man exactly it's like permanent burning man <laughs> yeah uh, with a scottish vibe um and why i bring that up is i, I went there and i was there with about 12 uh state uh, uh kids from the states like 19 to 20 18 and we had kind of a group leader and we would, one of the things that we did there was we would sit down every week and we would all share what was going on for us for 20 minutes. Like we would have a, a, a good amount of space to just share what was going on and we'd go around the whole circle and we would do it's that every 20 week. People, 20 it was like 12 kids. 12, okay. Yeah, and the release that it was to get to share, like, because it was, we took classes there and so it was slightly an academic environment, though it was much more kind of free form, but the opportunity to each of us show up and just be ourselves fully. It brought in a huge awareness for me of how stifling our normal education system is to people just being who they truly are. And what I realized as I reflected on it in the years following that was, you know, I have a strong belief that humans are very similar to trees. We are similar to, you know, we are, we are living organisms that have the seed of who we're here to be within us and that we are growing. Like we, we, Certainly, education is here to help help us and sculpt us, but it's not to like mold our minds as much as the system believes. Like we truly have the seeds of our genius within us, mm. and so one of the kind of like principles or broad pillars in terms of your question for me is is really how do we have education that supports somebody in being who they truly are, mm. and so in discovering who they are and in, in doing exercise and, and experiential learning that helps them realize, oh, I am different from that human being in these fundamental ways that make me unique and make me beautiful and that I can fan the flames of. Yeah. And I feel like rather than, you know, there's so, many, so much we could say about traditional education, but just the rigidity and the standardization, I think it really squelches the human spirit rather than each person discovering who they are and being able to support so, it. So is it informative learning? Like, hey, I know you like music. Here's a bunch of piano lessons, guitar lessons, whatever lessons. Yeah. Very, like, still instructive. Or is it ex experiential learning? We're going to do this thing. Everyone has a job. I mean, I'm giving you kind of examples. Like, yeah, yeah. What kind of learning modalities are you referring to? Well, I think on, on probably on one level, it's giving a wider range of education. Like, education not just meaning math and writing and history of education meaning as you just said like music and kinesthetic intelligence and you know emotional intelligence and what it is to like widen the frame of what we're what we're supporting education around because being a human is so much more than the things that are taught in school and being a happy human being a thriving human there's this so much that never gets talked about that you know i feel like we're is just becoming becoming a part more of part of mainstream consciousness that would be so great for every child to be you know, brought up thinking about and learning about and having opportunities to dive into. And then, as you're saying, I think as passions start to get stoked, 
but I, I haven't thought deeply enough about like when it would make sense developmentally and when it would make sense just in terms of supporting people around like when they identify they want to do something versus when we just keep giving them opportunities. But I do think that the experiential side is hugely important. Mm -hmm. So you know, being able to be, go beyond just reading and talking about something. I mean, personally, I have a lot more questions about just exactly how to do that because I'm actually personally very passionate about education. Mm. And since I'm also a product of our education system, mm -hmm. and my uh, bachelor, master, PhD in biomedical engineering, because I thought I wanted to do that and then, then realized later on, I like a part of that process but I didn't actually like doing the work, the mm -hmm. actual operating, operations of discovery. Mm -hmm. So I had to um, explore outside of the academic realm. I, I discover uh, like Landmark and all these other transformative education. That was more impactful for me mm -hmm. <laughs> than any of the stuff that I've done in the past. Yeah. Although useful, right? And then entrepreneurship, learn a lot of new tools then meditation, I mean, and then spirituality. Mm -hmm. So I'm always fascinated with the whole idea of informative learning and then transformative learning. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I don't want this conversation to delve into the theoretical. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of come back to what is it that you do? <clears throat> Excuse me. It'll take a little longer. Mm -hmm. What is it that you do to keep yourself grounded, operating from your heart? Mm. And your last name? Yeah. <laughs> operating from your heart and also in combination with your mind, right? Mm -hmm. From my perspective, it's the yin and the yin. How do you hold that space of intentionality, but also this allowingness? Mm -hmm. So how do you do that? Yeah, navigating that space between stimulus and response. Because mm. as we learn more, we have more tools. Between that stimulus and response, there's more and more space. And we have more and more options. Yeah. So then, what is it that you do so that <clears throat> you can operate from, from your heart and use your mind as a tool? Yeah. Um, well, it's probably it's probably you know a cumulative thing over time because I would say at this point I don't even really think much about the the time between stimulus and response. It seems more. It's become more of a way of being, though there's certainly days when I'm stressed out and I think that you know I, I need to bring attention to that. So I'll speak about that in a moment. But yeah, I would say that over time, meditation and yoga and breath work and you know I've done tons of workshops like you just described and I think they just over time they help us bring more attention to how are we in reaction to the world mm. because that's what it feels like to me it's like am I in reaction to everything that's happening around me or am I actually co-creating the moment mm -hmm. and for a long time I've been in just reaction all the time <laughs> and that's that's beautiful and okay and certainly I'm still in reaction in moments um, but I think that you know, the more 
and it, it's such a it's such a it's, it's a web of things that need to happen. You know, I think there's there's just the physiological piece. Like for me, the the, the yoga and meditation breath work brought in just a physiological calming down in my system. And then it also brought in more of awareness, so I could kind of be the witness to what was occurring. But then there's also the piece, as I was saying before, around like parts work and kind of the emotional intelligence that comes in of knowing what the, what the reaction I'm having is and how I can actually be with it in a way that is more serving to myself and, and that part and the whole environment. Do this daily, weekly, quarterly? Um, at this point, I do yoga and meditation almost daily. Mm. Um, so yeah. Strict, was, like a discipline, like a ritual? I, so I have a daily morning practice um, that, that's changed a lot since I've come up here, and so I feel like I'm still getting the hang of what is my new situation now that I'm not in the city, and, and you know, there's a whole new, new, there's a lot more available to me now. Um, but so I, I'll just speak to that real quickly, is that every day I get outside, I go outside and I put my feet on the ground, and just it feels really important to have that connection to the earth for me, and the feel that, you know, electromagnetically, whatever it's doing, but I just feel, it feels like it grounds me. And I do uh, some body tapping, and it kind of wakes up all the meridians of my body. And you know, it's a quick five-minute thing that has me feel alive. Um, and then I normally go and do a quick yoga practice, and then I normally sit in meditation for a, a short while, like fifteen minutes. Any um, specific kind of meditation? So, so many, right? There's so many. <laughs> yeah. So I've sat I've sat vipassana for a long time in my twenties, but um, over the last eight years, I've been part of this energy medicine for lack of a better way to speak about it, energy medicine intuitive school. Mm. Um, and so my meditation practice has more been, I'd almost describe it like energetic hygiene, where basically I run energy through my being and it feels like it kind of clears out a lot of the density and uh, clears my mind. more of the mechanics how you do that? Yeah, yeah so I, um, yeah. there's a lot of nuance to it, but the, the broad brush strokes are basically that I, I allow energy from the earth to come up through the bottom of my body and I allow energy from the sky to come down through the top of my head and I move it through kind of through my chest through my legs through my arms and then kind of moving back out back to the earth back up to the sky and so almost as like just sitting in a channel of light Um, so in your mind's eye energy is moving from the bottom up and then from the top down you're moving it to different parts of the body yeah and so it's almost just like sitting in an energetic river kind of feeling that's cool I yeah. like that mental model yeah I love it Thank yeah it's you. been very it's been great yeah. yeah and then so just the final piece to the daily practice after meditating is I I take um, a cold shower mm. and I do some Wim Hof breathing in the shower and, in and, the shower yeah not before not after yeah it just works better for me in terms of keeping things you know compact <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know increasing my oxygenation oxygenation and and the cold has just, it's almost become like the foundation to my practice. Like that's the thing I would give away the least. The, the, I would keep, if I could keep any piece. Mm. It feels like that has uh, had the biggest effect. Cold shower, Wim Hof, in the cold shower. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. So you actually, so Wim Hof is a particular kind of breathing pattern mm-hmm. to hyper-oxygenate your, our bloodstream. Mm-hmm. That includes uh I was like 18 and then hold your breath or something like that, right? Yeah, I do it for 30 and then hold. 30 and hold. Yeah. And holding um, oxygen fully released mm-hmm. and then inhaling. Yeah, so there's, it's a very specific pattern and, you know, it's one of many. One of many. Yeah. Right, right. That's beautiful. That's great. 
So that that sets you up for for the for the day. Do you do the reflection and the parts work and all that stuff? At the end so of the day? at this point, I do. Um, and this is not happening every day. I'm still finding my groove with it. But I do uh, just um, there's a there's an app 750words.com that is comes from the Artist's Way, which had just kind of doing daily pages, where I just write down. You know, I write for 15 minutes, kind of free form stream of digitally. consciousness. Yeah, I do it digitally. Mm-hmm. And um, why digital not? Just because this app makes it easier for me, because it counts the words, so I don't have to even ah, think I about see. it. I just go and then I look, <laughs> and it's done. In the past, I was kind of like, okay, how many pages have I written? And yeah, I got you. Yeah, so but that's the place where I'm still finding the groove because there is something lost in not doing it by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that for me is the is the reflection writing practice right now, just kind of seeing what wants to flow out. Mm-hmm. In the past, I did much more of a weekly parts work practice where I would go and check in with parts and see what was going on. Do you do any of these with your partner? Um, none of those. No, my daily practice is solo. Um, she and I, the things that we have done together, we, you know, there's been like various books we've wanted to reflect on together or programs we've wanted to do. Or, you know, for us, it's much more about just bringing our hearts together and making sure we feel mm-hmm. connected and intimate with what's unfolding in each of our universes. I see. So you do yeah. your inner work solo. And when you show up, you're done. You're ready. Exactly. I see. Exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. One of the practices that uh, my wife and I would do together is to, uh, first thing in the morning, to say what we're grateful for. Mm, beautiful. Three things I'm grateful for. And uh, we do that at night as well. And it's been tremendous. That's a great practice. Yeah. Uh, there's something about gratitude that just uh, allow, I can't speak for her, I speak for myself, need to be in a state, the mental state of just like, it's all right. All oh, yeah. is good. All is well. All is well. <laughs> There's so many things to be grateful for. You know, look at the canvas, what's white versus this black spot. Yeah. That's a tiny little thing that's not working. Yeah. So, yeah. Beautiful. Well, I think that's a great point too of like, you know, the, the things I'm mentioning have, the piece around gratitude is huge, and for gratitude for me has been actually probably one of my biggest practices in life. There's, I, have, I found a journal the other day where it was only just gratitude practice, and it's not as big of an intentional in practice these days, but I do just want to underscore it is that I think that, I think naturally I'm kind of an optimistic human being, but I think that the time and attention I put toward focusing on what's amazing about every moment has been one of the most important things in my life. I'm actually the opposite. Um, naturally, by default, I look at the gap. Yeah. Because I want to optimize, right? Yeah. I want to like, strive for what's humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So I'm always focusing on the gap. But mm-hmm. because of that, and it's, it's phenomenal great. As such, I'm able to achieve so much, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and then live a very disciplined life. But because I, my focus is on the gap, my default is not in this present moment. My default is, oh, but Burning is amazing, but next year, <laughs> I'm going to have this widget, so it's going to be here, it's going to be off the hook. And while life is happening, like, you know, the peak experience is happening right now, I'm already like next year. Yeah. So I don't know if you're like that. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I love your holding of it, though, because that can become such an obsession that does ruin every moment, verse, yeah. this is a part of me that actually is a beautiful part that's optimizing life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's the thing that I'm 
constantly learning. I have to just as almost like as a as a mantra, like mm. be here now, be here now, be here now, mm. versus waiting till I got this widget, so and so is with me. Totally. I have a blanket. Then <laughs> <laughs> life will turn out. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, what's helping you like as that process unfolds what's helping you be like how does it how is it going what do you feel like is it's it's a journey honestly yeah. it's i think one of the realization that i have if i can because i i fidget right it's that i'm part of that human nature of on the east and uh over the years i'm able to relax more and more and then just not just like be versus like mm -hmm. trying to like touch this and fix that and the other thing um, so just keeping that mantra there, just you know, being here. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and also another thing that really helped me a lot, you know, gratitude for sure. Then the number one thing that moved the needle the most is s as simple as what are you grateful for? Three things first in the morning. What are you grateful for? Three things last thing at night. Uh, everything else helped calibrate, helped benchmark. Mm -hmm. Like these peak experiences, Burning Man, you know, big retreats, meditation, whatever it may be, benchmark, but, mm -hmm. but uh, mantra, that's, that's what I'm practicing right now. Nice. Yeah. So community, I'm actually curious to know about this, because yeah. you conscientiously move from the city to this beautiful estate, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do you curate the people surrounding you? Because there's a phrase in... You know, we hear a lot, you know, the average, the five people that's around you, they spend the most time with. Mm -hmm. um, how do you curate? Like, why are your best friends your best friends? Why are your housemates your housemates? Like, how did you select these beautiful human beings in your life? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so I, I can, I'm sure there are mental things that I'm doing, so I can pull, the, pull that apart. I also think it goes back to, like, what I said about the books and stuff. It's like, well why exactly like is it meant to be or is it you know is it the, because of the color of the pages or whatever the case may be but there's definitely a way that with everybody in my life it, there's a way it comes down to you know if we're talking about being in the moment how do I feel in the moments when I'm with them and how do I feel in the moments after I depart them meaning am I filled up or am I drained mm -hmm. and that you know I think that on the surface can sound like well a little superficial or a little simplistic, but what I actually mean by that is it doesn't mean that there are people in my life who I am supporting a lot and giving a lot to, and, and if there's an energetic give and take, but it's happening in a way that fills me. Like maybe it's calling for some of my gifts that are wanting to be brought forward or whatever the case may be, or with other friends, there's more of an energetic exchange where they're giving to me a lot, but I can tell it fills them up and I'm receiving their wisdom. And there's a way though that there feels like a real resonance. Like together we feel better. Together we feel like more. Together we feel like more, you know, happy in the moment and also more like it's like the being and becoming. We're becoming more of who we're here to be together. Mm -hmm. So to the piece around like, you know, some of my best friends are um, men I sit in men's group with. Mm -hmm. So six years ago or so, I was um, sitting in a circle and um, a number of times I was sitting in a circle and I was like oh this constellation of men wants to like a group of the men that were in that circle want to be together more and so I kind of called a men's group and we've now met every month for six years oh amazing yeah it's been huge we could definitely chat about that yeah. um, but then you know the group of people that I live with here are part of our wider community through Camp Mystic and 
it's all it's it's you know there's there's it's like deep values alignment i believe like there's a deep value around you know what this podcast is about like what we're what we're here doing our lives about of what is it to become who we're here to become what is it to discover the best of what is human and and what is it to create a more perfect more amazing world together um and so i feel like the the beauty of where you know the intellect meets the heart meets artistry meets all of it there's just such alignment so with the people that I specifically live with here, some of them I have um, a background with in the past um, that I've known for many years. Like actually one couple here, I, I was living with them years and years ago when they had their child. And so I was kind of like his first babysitter. And yeah, it's just a, a sweetness. So I feel like it's just a continual weaving of we feel like chosen family. We are here doing, we are here up to the same things. What I hear is this inner knowing. You may or may not be able to explicitly say, like, oh, here's the value of, I don't know, whatever, integrity or growth. Or, mm-hmm. And then and it's that recognition of this inner knowing. Like, hey, when I'm with them, we thrive together. One plus one equals three kind of a thing. Yeah, is that yeah. Your... Yeah, because I, I, do, I do think that, yeah, it's such an interesting thing when it comes down to inner knowing because, you know, living in the Bay Area, there are countless people who share my values. Uh-huh. And, and that's beautiful, and that's part of why I'm here. And, and I'm, I'm, I imagine you experience that in L.A. as well on, to some level. But, like, there's a certain, with a certain group of those people, there's just a knowing of, okay, we're the people who are supposed to be in closer proximity. We're the people who are supposed to, you know, weave our lives in this way. Um, and so I could make up reasons about that, but it actually doesn't occur as a mental choice I'm making. It occurs more as a, just a, a bodily heart, full being knowing of, okay, that's supposed to happen. Like, you know, just choosing to live here, it wasn't as if it was, didn't feel like a real decisive decision. It was actually, I was here on a 4th of July for a 4th of July party. My partner was too. And I just had this feeling of like, I think we're supposed to live here soon. Just like, it felt, I like saw us in the bedroom that was there. Um, like that was open, and um, at the end of the party, my partner came up and said, "I feel like we're supposed to live here, like completely independent of my thought." Oh, no kidding! And so it's just the kind of thing that you know just drops in when the time is. You know, it's an intuitive knowing, and yeah. Yeah, I think that's like the value of these a lot of these like um, meditation or yoga, this like cleaning of your own temple, so to speak. Mm. Well, allow these. Um, I guess messages, intuition, knowing, clarity, whatever you call it, to to recognize that because they're always there. But totally. when our brain is so noisy, when your body's in pain, it's just you can't hear those whispers. Yeah, that's the way I would articulate it. How yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to articulate. Actually, you're making me realize that the mentor I mentioned who was really into parts work. He also, he travels around the world working with high-level CEOs and government ministers, helping them connect to their, what he calls, higher guidance. Mm. This idea that, you know, we all have messages that are coming through that we can hear. And for me, what I realized is the carrot of wanting to do the parts work was to have the guidance. Mm. Like, it wasn't like I was interested in more peace. Like, peace sounds all right, but it's not big enough carrot for me to do the parts work. But the parts work was so I could quiet the inner landscape down enough to hear some of this deeper, to deeper messages that wanted to come through. And that's really been my experience of mm-hmm. over time as my inner being settles down more. And just as you're saying, there's, there's always something available. 
Who's that? Who's that teacher? This is his name. Tim Kelly. Tim Kelly. Oh, he's a CEO of Ideal. Is that the same guy or is it a different guy? It's a different guy. Okay, yeah. Tim Kelly. Does he have a book? He does. Yeah, he has a book called True Purpose. Oh, great. Yeah. Okay, actually, I have read that book. Nice. Oh, that's beautiful. That's yeah. great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Oh, it's a new reminder. Mm. What about career path? Mm -hmm. How have you used that inner guidance to help you pick, um, you know, career? Yeah. Because a lot of people, they may have found their purpose in life. So in my case, right, I really wanted to uh, dedicate my life, right, to empower people to raise their consciousness and alleviate suffering. Because I've been through that path. Mm -hmm. And it's not the material thing that's going to give you that deep sense of satisfaction. Yeah. Right. It's it's the it's this you know everything that we talked about so far. So how do you pick which projects to take on um, that's ultimately going to serve your highest good? Have you in the past? And then we can inquire about this. Doesn't doesn't need to be have an answer mm -hmm. quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. Just like what's your answer right now? Yeah. Well, I think it's very similar to this piece around community. Um, you know, I went through a very challenging, probably more than five years of my 20s uh, around career because, you know, I went to like a prestigious school and all my friends were leaving and, you know, going to law school and, you know, within a few years having making tons of money and, you know, just I, I felt I felt very I, I went to Fintorn, as I mentioned, and, and that really awoke something in me that has been a thread that I've been following ever since. Mm. And what's that? What did it? Uh, what yeah, and that, and that's it's hard to say, but it is the calling of the world I want to live in and what I want my life to be about. So when I, you know, I was at Fintorn and I saw the shamans and I saw monks and I saw a new way of living and I saw these people leading workshops and I saw happier, more expressed, more human people than I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah. I wanted to create more of that and I wanted to be in more of that. You want to be a catalyst for something exactly. like that. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so for me, you know, choosing career, I've chosen based things on that. So for a long time, I was kind of wandering, you know, through life, not knowing what I was doing and just had kind of random odd jobs, but was always around as many workshops and as many mentors and as many communities as I could possibly be as I was doing that. And so there's a lot I could say about that time, but there was basically at some point I got clear that I wanted to lead workshops. And so I sat down every day and visualized working for somebody who was making a lot of money leading workshops. Mm -hmm. And within two weeks, met a man and became kind of his like, you know, led his marketing and was almost like his executive assistant. Mm -hmm. And then within six months of doing that, I was like, oh, this is very lonely. I don't want to be a solopreneur. I want to work mm -hmm. in a consciousness raising organization sat down and was visualizing every day in my meditations. And within like two weeks, I met the founder of the company I'm currently at, just mm. as he was founding the company, mm. and have been there ever since. Mm. And so I've been on a journey within that company of what's my particular expression of this work. But since then, I've, it's clarified for me around the education and around the media. Um, and, you know, now I'm in this kind of new journey of, I feel like I've stepped into the next level of what is my unique expression in this mm. and so I feel like a lot is changing and shifting but it's, it's similar to the community piece of can you say a little bit more about the mechanics like concretize because I'm sure people mm -hmm. are hearing it like ooh that's my you know, visualization two weeks manifestation yeah, yeah that's and so I, cool yeah like, well I think, I think it has nothing to do with the visualization I think it had more to do with the clarity of 
of me just getting clear of what I wanted. Mm. Like, and, and not from a place of, I really want this because it will yada, yada, yada. More just like the deep longing of my heart wanted that because it felt true. Mm. And that's what I would encourage anyone to like really sit with is this like, what, what is true now and what feels aligned now? Because we don't like, I have no idea where my life is going. I have no idea what my career is going to look like in 10 years. I have ideas, but I don't actually know. It comes down to that whole not knowing thing. So all I can really do is take the next aligned step. Mm. And so it's more just like, for me, it was always like aligning with, I know that this feels like the next true step to take. And so I would sit down and visualize that, which felt like the true next step. Mm. Um, but it's, it comes down to that paradox too, of not knowing what's actually going to be the best thing for us. And so holding an idea and being open to the universe. And that, uh, you know, that's the beautiful thing, I think, with being optimistic or being grateful or cultivating these things. is like, over time, I trust the universe more and more. Mm-hmm. I trust that, like, I have an idea of what wants to happen, but it might be way better than I can even imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I feel there's a lot of peace at that. Mm-hmm. Right? Having that narrative, having that belief. Mm-hmm. Right, the trust in your verse, trust yourself, trust the process. Yeah, and allowing for uh, big thing, bigger things to happen. And can I say in that? Yeah. I don't want to say that. That I don't want to paint that as positive, just like airy fairy, like everything's wonderful. Because what the next aligned step sometimes really sucked, mm-hmm. you know. And only looking back did I recognize how perfect it was. You know, whether it was a relationship falling apart or a job not coming through earlier in the journey. Um, There were times when it was like, oh, it's really true to have to leave this. Or it's really true to have to not take that job. And that did not feel good. That did not feel like the perfect thing. Mm -hmm. But then looking back a year later, five years later, it was like, it's a very, you know, hindsight gives us the realization of, no, that was actually perfect. Like the unfolding of this is taking me to bigger and better things. And so for me, I take the learnings from the past and extrapolate that out to the future of, I may not know what's gonna happen, it may be way outside of what I want to have happen, but I'm gonna trust because thus far, it just keeps getting better and better. Mm, I love that. And bring back to the Vipassana uh, experience. Mm. Part of the Vipassana experience is all about equanimity, right? Don't be craving for positive bodily sensations, don't have aversions towards pain or sensations that you don't want as an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you sit for that long of a time, numbness, pain, is likely to happen. Will probably happen. Will happen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but suffering comes when you try to say, all right, I don't want this numbness or pain or whatever. So, so similarly, uh, life is a roller coaster and things will happen. And as it happens, it may suck using your language but bigger things will happen. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Can I actually tell a really brief story of that course. just makes me think of? Is um, A friend of mine told me this recently. He's told me it a few times throughout our friendship over the last 10 years, but um, it's particularly in my mind around this, is that you know this notion of there was a, a farmer and the son tending, they, they had their horses, and they were tending their horses. And one day, um, one of their horses ran away. He kind of jumped over the fence and ran away and um, off into the woods. And all the, all the neighbors were like, oh, it sucks that you lost your horse. I'm so sorry. And the farmer's like, eh, who knows? Who knows? 
he, the next day he sent the son off to find the, the horse and he ran off into the woods and came back the next day with 20 horses. Like the horse had found friends and they all wanted to come back with him. And so they brought the horses back and put them in the pen. And so they had 20 new horses and all the neighbors said, oh my God, it's so amazing. How, how wonderful that this turned out this way. And the farmer said, who knows? Who, who knows? And the next day, the, the son was on one of the horses, and he's trying to tame it, trying to, trying to put a saddle on it, and he got thrown, and he broke his back, and he couldn't walk anymore. And all the neighbors are saying, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, this is awful, what a tragedy. Mm. And the father says, who knows? Who, who knows? And then a year later or something, an army comes through, and they're conscripting men to join their army, and they're making all the young men join the army, and they pass over the son who broke his back, and they all go off, and the whole army gets defeated, and everyone's killed. And um, it goes on and on and on. We don't, we don't know if things are good or bad. You know? We're making meaning about them all the time, but who knows where it's actually leading. Mm-hmm. And so what it is to you know, bring that lightness to it. Of, I can make up stories about it, but really I'm just going to trust the unfolding of it. And that I don't, I, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love this story. Uh, thank you for sharing. You can tell you so well. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in that moment, right, when someone in your life is hurt or even happened to you, yeah. you're in pain, it's really challenging yeah. to remember that. Who knows? Something better is going to unfold. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Absolutely. Because there's always that... Um, so many options we can take. Maybe I could have not taken a horse. Maybe that particular horse was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the what if game is the is the torment. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would love it for myself at the end of my life if I can say, you know, honestly, I have no regrets. Mm. Everything I've done, every choice I make, no regrets. Mm. And just smiling as I breathe my uh, last breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there a, um, a way that arriving in that way occur? Like, is there, how do you orient to- toward arriving with no regrets at the end of your life? Yeah. <clears throat> so, a friend, uh, my dear friend Ross and I, we had this conversation all the time. Using that as a mental model when I make major decisions in life. Or when I piss off about something, mm-hmm. it's a great way to make decisions. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's the ultimate test. Mm-hmm. Am I going to regret this decision later on? Mm-hmm. Am I treating this human being that's right in front of me well? Mm-hmm. You know, with integrity and with my own truth. Do I did I stay my ground or you know all these things? Ultimately, is a very very useful mm-hmm. um, test for me. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you do it? So in that, are you saying that? It comes down to kind of being true to yourself, and like that helps you remi- remind yourself to be true to yourself. Yeah, that test, that question: mm-hmm. Am I going to regret this at my deathbed? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, then I won't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'll do it. Right. Uh-huh. Just things like that. Yeah. You know, doing this podcast, great example. You know, at the end of the day, well, actually, this is my second podcast. I started a podcast some time ago called Entrepreneurs on Purpose. Uh-huh. And I stopped after episode like eight or something because I was so attached to the outcome mm. 
oh, there's no audience, no one's caring. It's like when you speak into the ethers after mm -hmm. you pour your heart and effort into something, it's very disheartening. Mm -hmm. Then I had a mentorship. My friend Inting was beautiful in, in my first guest. He said, you know, um, Joe Rogan episode one to episode 100 was terrible. Yeah. But he's at episode 1000 right now. And right. He's amazing. Yeah. He interviewed Elon Musk and able to go wherever he goes and make people feel whatever way he feels. Just an expert interview. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I realized this for me. Even if I have all the money in the world, I will still do. And even if no one listens to this, which I don't think. Right, mm -hmm. I would still do this because mm -hmm. I really uh -huh. enjoy hanging out with cool guys. We could guys. turn this thing off and just keep talking. Yeah, hanging out with cool guys, having cool conversations about what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a good person, what it means to have self mastery, what it means to live a meaningful life, what it means to take all the talents and gifts that we have to share with the world. Mm -hmm. So we just happen to have a recorder on that's all that's my mental model shift for me that's beautiful how do you do it how do you make sure that at the end of your life you can say hmm that was a great fucking life yeah um uh, death death is the way that i do that meaning i I feel naturally kind of obsessed with death, but it feels like a, the the tool that allows me to live. Yeah, and this is a cliche on many levels, but it's a cliche for a reason that you know through truly knowing, recognizing, embracing that I am going to die, it allows me to live that much more fully. And um, you know, and so in terms of, I, I don't know if I necessarily use it around decision making of like, do I not or do I, but more around boldness mm. of like the things that feel true for me, I'm going to do them boldly. I'm going to do them truly. I'm going to do them courageously mm. because there's nothing to lose. Mm. Like on one level, I've already lost everything. Mm. I will lose everything. And so if I bring that into the now, like what is it to move through life knowing I've already lost everything? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what a mental model. Yeah, it's huge. It actually, um, I had a really powerful experience around it when I was falling in love with my fiance. Mm. Is that as I was as I was in the process of falling in love with her, I found myself crying a lot, and it was it felt almost like my heart was breaking open because I was recognizing that as I was falling in love with her, I was going to lose her. Like I was aware of the death of our relationship whether it was breaking up at some point or her dying or me dying at some point i was going to lose her and it made the love so much thicker it made it made every moment so much better and i still it actually feels like one of the deepest gifts of my life is that when i still look at her it's it's present for me and i may not think about it but it's viscerally present is that any time i get to look at her face is a gift the impermanence yeah of it all yeah uh, I think it was the ancient Greeks, right? The Stoics. Mm. They will give each other gifts of like a skeleton. Uh, so good. To remember, memento mori, right? Yeah. You die at any day. Do you have anything like that to remind yourself of in this impermanence? So for me, I have this countdown clock on my browser. Mm. It just got counts down 
of the time, yeah, how much time I have left. It's like with an average of like when you might right, die. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And then people are like, whoa, this is like way too intense. <laughs> Even my wife is like, uh. <laughs> I so appreciate that. Yeah, I actually heard about a wristwatch that had that and I was thinking about getting it. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. So, so do you have anything like that? I actually don't. To remem- no. Remind yourself of this impermanence. Because no. when you're in the moment of like anger or whatever it may be, something that triggers you, mm-hmm. when you're in that moment of, well, you forget, mm-hmm. then that thing, whatever that you're angry about, becomes the main focus versus this like beautiful unfolding, you know, all of that. So yeah, you know, yeah, I don't have any um, you know talisman or object that does that for me. Um, my experience of it is 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 kind of noticing it all around me. You know, like right now the leaves are falling, and so there's like ways that I catch that, or like right now I have some gray hair coming in for the first time, and I catch that, or right now. The Sonoma fires are happening just north of us, and you know, realizing that it's all a lot is being burned down right now. And so for me, it, it shows up just in like the little moments of the day when I notice death, or I notice aging, or I notice change. But I love the thought of having kind of more of a an object that's you know on my altar, on my desk, on my browser. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What do you feel about people's reaction or potential reaction to to the piece around death? Yeah. Because this is, that's actually an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, so I developed this deck of cards. Mm. I call it a conversation of the craft. Because I, I feel that most people don't have... Uh, they, they talk very like, hey, how was your day? What did you do this weekend? And it's okay to do that. But I wanted to like dive deep, right? Mm-hmm. So I have these cards that I can hand out to guests and they can actually ask questions that matter. Nice. And one of the card questions is... Um, around death and some people's reaction is like oh no 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 let's not talk about that mm-hmm. like, I don't want to talk about it it's so sensitive so they're sensitive about it so how do you feel about people's reaction or how do you interact with people's reaction around death yeah yeah for some people it's super morbid super morbid yeah yeah I think for a while that was really painful for me and now I just have compassion around it because what I, what I think I was what what I've experienced in it has been that, you know, with, with anything in life, if I go toward it, it opens up into more beauty. Like it actually offers more if I don't go away from it. When I pull away from something, when I don't want to look at it, it, it persists, as we said before. And so I always felt like, I think I first felt frustration with folks, and then I felt more just like sad for them of, of there's actually a lot of gifts here if we go toward the fact that we're going to die. It becomes more, we become more present, all these things. And I completely understand that death is terrifying. We actually don't know what's happening. You know, we don't, like, we're going to lose everything is a horror, heartbreaking truth. Mm-hmm. And I can completely understand that of anything, not wanting to have to look at that. So mm-hmm. I think over time, as I've just become more intimate with myself, I just have compassion and can understand. Mm-hmm. So on that note, I, I want to be cognizant of time. Mm-hmm. You have, you have, you're good? I'm good. Okay, cool. You want to do a little sananga and then we can wrap? That'd be great. Okay. Yeah. Whew. How was that? It's beautiful. Intense. <laughs> <laughs> Scale one to ten. They mean the most painful. It's like a solid eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
it's a cool experience having a pain in a place where I don't know if I've ever had pain before. Yeah. I'm used to pain all over my body, but not my eyes. Yeah. Mm. And you took it like a champ, dude. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks for introducing me to new medicine. Yeah. Um, most people, it's so painful. They were just like, their primal response like grab on their hair. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Or something or other. So they use this in Hapei to potentiate the ayahuasca experience. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, there's something. Thanks. Alright. <laughs> so I have a few more questions. Yeah. I can wrap. You want to do it here, down here? Or, well, yeah, this is good. So we didn't actually ask the question yet, what it means to be a man in modern times. Mm. We talk a lot about the individual. So do you have any opinions about masculinity, healthy masculine, or what it means to be a man in modern times? Yeah. So I think that um, what's unfolding with the you know, what's unfolded with the Me Too movement and just the time we're in in, in the United States with our president and the unhealthy masculine being you know, so front and center. I think that there's um, a real beautiful evolution happening. And I think there's definitely many more pendulum swings to happen. You know, I think the intense anger and rage that has come out around, around Me Too and around the unhealthy masculine, there's going, we're going to find new ways to integrate that and there's going to be more healings that will occur. Um, but what I really feel the call toward is men both embracing more of the feminine within themselves. Because I, I, what, I, what I really really believe is happening is like we're learning how as, as humans to embrace our masculine, embrace our feminine fully. And with that, you know, coming back to this whole idea of people being who they truly are, each human finding what their true balance is, if you want to put it in that frame. Um, but I do think that men for so long, we've been in this notion of we can't embrace the feminine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, David Data talks about this notion of like, there was a while when we had kind of like a first stage masculine of like, the old, the old oppressive masculine. And then in the 60s, men began to like grow their hair long and dance and smoke weed and started to embrace their feminine more. And now there's the opportunity for what's the next level of synergy around that? Like what does a true masculine expression look like as we embrace our femininity and we embrace our true masculinity? And I think that's a journey for every man. Like what is, how does that live in each of us? Um, and so for me, that's been around, you know, there's been a lot of like, wanting to understand the healthy masculine more, wanting to understand the healthy male archetypes and, you know, mm -hmm. books like King Warrior, Magician Lover and um, various mentors I've had who, you know, just reflecting on, there's so few expressions of healthy masculinity in the world. And so like whether in fiction, you know, trying to find like, where is the benevolent king within fiction? Mm -hmm. And just various places where like those archetypes can live and can begin to live in me more and more. Um, but, but what I've found is that if I go in one direction too much, like if I focus just on my masculinity too much, mm -hmm. 
it's actually like not serving me. I need to continue to really dig through my feminine as well and, and find the ways to deepen in both. Mm, yeah. I love the mental model of the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. There is masculine and feminine within each of us. Yeah. So part of this podcast is have men talking about what it means to be men in modern times. So some of my female friends are asking me, why are we focusing on men? Mm. Well, because I'm a man, I want to be a better father, brother, son, friend. Mm -hmm. So therefore, and I can only come from a masculine perspective. I have no idea what's it like to be a female, you know, gender woman mm -hmm. in, the, in this lifetime, mm -hmm. anyway. So, um, yeah, to have to have that harmonious point in the yin and the yang, and, and the only person that can help navigate that space is oneself. It's not, <laughs> no one else on the outside can tell you, hey, Ben. You're not being so-and-so masculine or so-and-so feminine today. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not you. I don't know what's it like to be within you. So, um, so curious, because you actually mentioned about um, fiction or non-fiction uh, examples of this uh, role model, this, this, this model. Have you come across any, is there anyone at all who you're like, oh yeah, this is a pretty healthy expression of... Uh, Men? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I, I started to write down a list. I don't know if I'm going to be able to refer to all of it right now, but um, a few that have come to mind are, well, you know, in the warrior archetype, like King Leonidas and the movie 300, or just, in, you know, there's tons from history of the warrior archetype, actually, that are quite, quite beautiful expressions of that. In terms of the, the my, my interest has been around more of like the benevolent king, and so that's been a harder one, but examples I have had are, um, Captain Picard from Star Trek, um, General Adama from Battlestar Galactica, um, Mufasa from The Lion King. <laughs> um, those are the ones that are top of mind in this moment. And there's some beautiful ones from fiction. There's this beautiful fiction series um, called Red Rising that's um, a beautiful, it's a kind of a boy to man story that has a lot of powerful male archetypes in it. Mm, check it out. It's a good one. You recommend it? I highly recommend it. Yeah, me and my brothers around here have been geeking out on that over the last few years. Rising. Yeah. Right. Have to check it out. Yeah. What about adversity? Because we just experienced something that's painful. Yeah. Right? Uh, some people may call it from a different angle. I mean, you guys are masochists. <laughs> <laughs> in some degree, yeah, I would say so. But mm -hmm. in some degree, I like to look at it from the hey, these are opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like to actually just meditate with these, these, uh, these, these medicines, right? Hape or something like that, these things. Mm -hmm. Or even like a Spartan race as an example. Yeah, right? that's what came to my mind as you were saying that. Yeah. So, so what do you think about adversity or self-imposed adversity as an example? Yeah, I think, I think I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Of like, I think it's, um, I think it's huge. I think it's, 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 it's the, the crucibles through which we meet ourselves more deeply. You know, it's a, whether it's a, a little thing like doing a medicine that lasts 30 seconds or whether it's, you know, a full day Spartan race or whether it's going out in the woods. And, you know, there were times in my life when I would go out in the woods and just fast for three days on water and just read and, you know, be off in the woods. And, you know, just, just like by yourself. Yeah, just off myself. Wow. Just trying to like, you know, I think it's all just meeting ourselves more deeply. Mm. And adversity is a beautiful way to do that. Mm. And... um 
you know, there's a lot to be said for how to do it and this is the safe ways and, you know, yeah. ways that don't... So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. If you can extrapolate a little bit more, like, how do you do it safely and how do you do it not from the place of, like, self-indulgence? Because when you're self-indulgent, then it's, you know, masochistic, right? Whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to put a label on it. But, but if you do it with the intention of, I mean, that's at least the way I justify it, right? Do it with the intention for growth, then hell yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah so. exactly. Well, I think the way you just held the Sananga of asking me to set an intention before doing so, I think that having clarity of intent is what is so important. Because mm -hmm. as you're saying, it can become self-indulgent, it can become just a should or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I do think that anything like that, if we're, if we're coming to it with a very clear intent, then it, you know, it's like, it's like a, 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 one of my mentors is part of Native American church and this whole idea of like living in your prayer. It's like making it in prayer, which is like making an intention and then walking within it and allowing it to manifest. And I feel like that's what, how I approach adversity is, you know, why adversity if it's self-imposed you know certainly life brings us adversity that I never called forth and and then actually as I'm saying this I realize it's like coming back to the clarity of intent is really important then too mm -hmm. when we bring when life brings us adversity um, but for me it's all around you know and, and it's that whole thing of the paradox of I bring an intention to life and I don't know what's going to happen and so it's that beautiful I feel like when I self-impose adversity, it's the beautiful thing of I'm going to hold this intention and that will be a through line, but then life's going to bring some other things potentially mm -hmm. and getting to, to have like kind of the, the portal open up into the mystery of that. So for me, you know, going off and fasting in the woods, I um, there was one time I specifically comes to mind where I took the uh, Tibetan book of living and dying with me and I was really mm -hmm. contemplating death as we were talking about earlier. And... Um, and it, uh, you know, I was sitting there and I had this experience walking, I was out on the California coast and I walked on the beach and this giant seal like popped out of a cave and almost like attacked me. And I just, it was one of the like more visceral experiences I've had of um, like deep terror arise in my body with wildlife. Mm. I haven't had many like scary encounters with wildlife and um, it, it, the intention of just wanting to contemplate death like the life brought a whole different lesson where I like saw how terror lives in my body mm. of like being scared by things. And like, I, I don't know quite how to articulate the experience I had, but it, the, through the intention that I brought, brought deeper lessons than I ever could have imagined. Yeah. You were thinking about death? Here it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Killed by a seal. <laughs> That'll be told around the dinner tables. You want it, you have it. You're a part of the <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, any lasting... Because I want this podcast for people that are still listening. I want people to... They're inspired by your story. They're inspired by your narrative. They're inspired by your point of view. What's one tactical thing they can take on to try on? living in adversity or, or contemplating death or whatever it may be that you have for them. Yeah. So well, try I, this on for size. This one isn't, probably won't seem very intense, but it's actually been one of the most powerful things for me in the last two years. And we mentioned it earlier, but just, I recommend everyone go and sit in a room for 30 minutes or an hour without doing anything and really confront the places of unease, agitation, disharmony within ourselves. 
like that to me that you know that opens up the landscape of like the wilderness within and there's a lot to be gained there and i would just really recommend taking this notion of like allow allow accept embrace over time learn to embrace everything that is going on within us mm-hmm. and i would just i would say make that a practice and see what unfolds and right. you'll meet some adversity <laughs> yeah for sure hey ben i really want to acknowledge you for um you know having gone all the places that we've gone to we talk a lot about different different topics uh, your personal stories, your point of view, career, meaning of life, death, right? Adversity, community. So thank you for sharing so much about you. And um, I think for the people that are discerning, they can really appreciate the deep wisdom that you bring to this conversation. So thank mm. you so much. Mm. Thank you, man. I really, uh, it's a pleasure, pleasure to talk with you, pleasure to be seen, pleasure to just share a bit about my story. And I really honor you for who you're being, what you're bringing forth in this in this podcast, and that just in your life, I can feel the uh, the purity of intent and the, the beauty of your heart. And mm-hmm. yeah, you're a really great man. So thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, enjoy. Have a beautiful rest of the day. Take care. <laughs>